Thank you, um, Rob, for, for this interview. Um, but let's start with, can you describe for me what transgender health is all about? <laughs> so you're starting off with an easy question, I see. Um, well, the you, well, well, the journal itself. Oh, the journal itself. Okay. Um, you know, I think what transgender health is trying to be, or uh, hopefully is, or will become, is a academic journal that is, you know, really dedicated to the highest quality research that broadly can be used to sort of elucidate sort of health disparities that affect um, components of the transgender community, but ultimately might be able to be used to um, help improve health disparities. So, um, you know, it's an open access journal, uh, which I think is uh, has its pros and cons, obviously. Um, but I think one of the pros is that the the peer-reviewed papers that um, get accepted for publication are, you know, easy for folks to download and um, you know, people can um, access fairly easily, and so hopefully that will, um, or at least the idea was that that would sort of broaden uh, people's ability to begin to read about a discipline that I think has been, you know, sorely underrepresented. Cool, cool. Now, uh, whose idea was it originally? You know, it was actually Marianne Liebert, so I don't know if you know anything about the Liebert Publishing Company. She, I, I didn't. Uh-huh. Um pretty amazing. Uh, she's a pretty amazing lady, actually. And uh-huh. she uh-huh. was one of the first people back in the early days of the HIV epidemic to actually start an academic journal through her publishing house uh-huh. devoted to HIV AIDS issues. And uh-huh. uh, you may know that they also, um, you know, house the journal LGBT Health. Uh-huh. And then it was probably about I guess a little over a year ago where she called me up and asked me whether I would take on this role uh, to be editor-in-chief of a new journal. And her um, rationale, mm-hmm. for me at least, was that the time was uh, now to really have transgender issues sort of step out from just being in the shadows of other you know, sort of lesbian, gay, or bisexual you know, health issues and really have its own standalone journal. Um, so I, you know, actually, she was the one that convinced me to do it, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I, I have great respect for her. Great. Uh, did, it, did it take her a lot of um, a lot of work to convince you? Um, well, you know, I was intrigued from the moment I was asked, and obviously honored and humbled. Um, uh-huh. I needed to take on a new. Um, job activity, like I needed a hole in the head. But, um, and actually, you know, more than anything, it was the topic area that convinced me because I just felt so honored to be the person that someone would reach out to to sort of lead this effort. You know, if it had been about LGBT health, I think I probably would have passed because now there are so many people, you know, over the past 15, 20 years that have jumped thankfully, you know, into the LGBT health bandwagon. But I felt like transgender health still was a fairly nascent field. And it was Uh something where I felt like, you know, I've spent, you know, more than 15 years of my career dedicated to doing work with this population, both academically and clinically. And I was, I, I just thought this was a real opportunity for both me and hopefully for the discipline. So, it took a little convincing, but basically around mm-hmm. my time management. But um, it was probably the one journal topic that I would consider taking on this role. 
All right, right. Now, uh, there's, I mean, there, as you mentioned, there's many other uh, LGBT health journals, but there's also a number of, of transgender uh, specific yeah. journals actually that I've started to create. Um, and plus also additional journals that have been publishing transgender yeah. health issues for, for a while now. Um, the, how do you see transgender health position in relation to uh, some of those journals? Yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious um, example is sort of the International Journal of Transgenderism, which I think has been mm -hmm. around for a long time. I think the one of the distinctions between transgender health and that journal is a, a, a more laser-like focus on medical and healthcare issues, you know, so I think mm -hmm. much of what's published in um, uh, IJT um, is much more sort of social science in orientation than purely uh, focused on sort of healthcare or medical care. So I think mm -hmm. where transgender health really wanted to position itself is a place where you know, both health and medically related academic work could be published, but also things like case reports, surgical case reports, um, small case series. You know, I really, I think transgender health really wanted to have, of um, again, as I've, I've said now a few times, a, a very specific focus on the healthcare aspects, which I think mm -hmm. are um, really uh, becoming quite prominent in both. Um, you know, the public health discourse, but also now increasingly, you know, related to sort of civil rights issues, particularly related to some of these issues with, you know, children and, you know, transgender people and bathroom use. But, you know, I mean, I, I think the intersection now between transgender health and civil rights is um, at a really unique moment in sort of our history. Mm -hmm. and, the, mm -hmm. and that community's history. So, uh, you know, there are, I, I think one of the other, quite, the other thing that you asked me is how this relates, how transgender health might position itself with other journals that I think increasingly hopefully do want to publish things related to transgender health. And I think mm -hmm. some of that remains to be seen. I mean, I think the goal is to um, really hit the ground running and make mm -hmm. transgender health a preeminent journal with an impact factor that is of the highest quality so that uh -huh. people will want to submit their work to transgender health, even if they have sort of other options. But, you know, I'm some, someone that's been doing this work for a long time. And I, uh, you know, there was a time in my career, and I can remember early on in my career when I submitted, you know, manuscripts to journals that saw the topic and rejected it outright. And so it's mm -hmm. um, with you know, some pride and, and, uh, and I applaud them that now, you know, increasingly, I think public health and medically focused journals more broadly are now open and accepting to work in this particular area. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Now, is it, is there a particular uh, journal that you have in mind that you want transgender health to, to be like in the future? Is there, do you want, do you want to see transgender to be like, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, for example. Well, I mean that would be great. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. The, you know, there's uh -huh. only one New England Journal of Medicine. I mean, right. you know, I'm. I, I mean, I think I have lofty but realistic goals. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I what I, you know, it's one thing to start a journal; it's another thing to sustain it. You know, mm -hmm. so while I think transgender health is off to a great start, I think really the challenge is going to be in sustaining. Um, you know, consistent, high-quality 
um, you know, sort of academic work that can be submitted mm-hmm. to the journal. I think as long as the journal is getting high quality submissions and the work is actually moving the field forward and advancing both science and thought as related to the health of transgender communities, I'd, I'd be pretty happy mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And I think the one thing that I think is, uh, I think is, is significant in regard to that is uh, many of your editors and other people you have um, listed as involved in, in the journal are, are trans themselves or tr- people who have been trans allies for, for many, many years. And I think that's something that I have not seen in regards to perhaps other journals as well. I mean, can you uh, speak to, to its, that significance of that? So, uh, of in the inclusion of transgender people? Well, well, the inclusion of, of trans people who are um, editors and who are involved in the the making of transgender health. Yeah, I mean, I think that was obviously one of the things that I actually said to Marianne Lieber when she asked me is I was like, do you really want a white cisgender man to be the editor in chief of this journal? (laughs) Because I can, you know, acknowledge my limitations and my privilege in this particular area. And, you know, Mm -hmm. she turned around and she threw right back to me and said, you know, you're someone that's done a lot of work in this area and you're exactly who I would want, you know, at this moment. She's like, maybe five years from now, with you at the helm, you know, we can groom, you know, people that are, you know, are transgender themselves to take on these types of leadership roles. And so I think Mm -hmm. we were really deliberate in our selection of um, both people on the editorial board, but in particular on the associate editors of having people that are uh, trans identify themselves. I think it was um, hugely important to me. And I think, you know, the other thing that we really looked to in our selection of, of associate editors was to take people that were, you know, perhaps somewhat junior in, in the field, but in my opinion, mm-hmm. had the potential to truly be like, you know, leaders in this field, you know, mm-hmm. three, five, ten years from now. So, right. you know, right. I think our, I'm really proud of the associate editors on the team and they um, are, have just been uh, hugely helpful to me and also just really, I think, helpful to the journal in making sure that there is representation of transgender people at all levels. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And what what topics do you specifically want, do you want to see people to submit to transgender health? You know, I mean, I think that depends. I mean, I think we're really open to a broad range of health and medical related topics. It could be about mm-hmm. clinical paradigms. It could be about uh, surgical treatments, again, case reports. You know, I think one of the areas which I think is really underrepresented in the current literature around transgender health are really um, case reports or issues around surgical interventions. So Mm -hmm, I'd really mm -hmm. like to see more submissions from surgeons, either domestically here in the U.S. or internationally, because I think um, increasingly, I think patients, families are, um, you know, looking for sort of options. And it would be nice to see um, a representation of academic work in, in the literature. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but then I also think, you know, uh, some of the stuff that's been published so far, I think, which has really moved the field forward was there was a white paper about fertility preservation, which I think is obviously a hot topic. So I think, you know, we want to continue to cover hot topics, timely topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the surgical piece is really important. But then obviously anything that is um, data driven, you know, I mean, I think, 
you know, when you, you threw out the New England Journal of Medicine, um, you know, one of the things that makes those journals so strong is that they really have a, a vested um, interest in getting real data-driven work that mm-hmm. is the highest quality. So, you know, that's got to be a focus for us because that's uh-huh. how we're going to get an impact factor. That's how it's going right. to move forward. Um, so, you know, it's been really fun. I mean, I have to say, I've never done anything like this in my life. Um, uh-huh. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm a, the most disorganized, organized person in the world. So um, uh-huh. it's been uh, a challenge and interesting. But when these submissions come in and I see them, I'm always like, oh, my God, that's really cool. You know, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, someone submitted something recently on metabolic syndrome. There was mm-hmm. um, and there have just been some really interesting um, papers that I think have been submitted. I think w- – you know, one of the real challenges to this field or to this journal is that so – and I, I know that you know this because we've had this conversation before. Uh-huh. But so many people doing work in this area are still so junior in their own careers uh-huh. and haven't had opportunities to get, like, NIH funding or other grants. So, so uh-huh. many of the submissions that we are getting – are still from like graduate students or mm-hmm. people early on in their careers. So one of the things that I find myself doing a lot more than I had originally intended, but I think it's important for the journal and, and for me and for the discipline is that I've been working a lot with um, authors that submit their manuscripts because often they're not really in the greatest shape, at least when they first get submitted in terms of uh, you know getting through a peer review process. But right, right. so I, I feel like one of the things that both the associate editors and I have been doing is a lot of mentorship, I think, with, um, you know, some junior people that want to, you know, get some skin in the game and get their work published. And so, mm-hmm. you know, because I can mm-hmm. tell you that the peer review for transgender health is quite critical, you know, so yeah. you know, I think one, one of the knocks of open access journals is people think think it's like pay to publish, which is not you know, obviously not the case. And, you know, I, I can tell you that the peer review process of transgender health is, is fairly uh, stringent. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I think, you know, the open access feature with the author publication fees are a real challenge, particularly in a field where so many of the people submitting the manuscripts are, again, junior. Right. So the publisher and I are really working, trying to think strategically about how we might get some philanthropic support to like cover mm-hmm. those author mm-hmm. publication fees for like the next three to five years until the journal is right. like established. Because, you know, so many people can't afford that. But, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we understand that. So we're trying to think creatively and at least for the first couple of years, we do have the potential to grant waivers of those author publication fees, particularly for articles that are data-driven. Right, right. And so what's the current fee right now for having a, a having one's article published uh, via open source into transgender health? It's $1,000, which is a hefty fee. I mean, even for me, right. I mean, I'm a full professor at Northwestern, and even for me, that fee would be like, ooh, wow. Um, uh-huh. That is, the, in some ways, the way the field is moving. I mean, I think you're seeing more and more sort of open access journals. I think where it's, it's, I don't know about troublesome, but where it's challenging in transgender health, again, relates to the fact that so many of the submitters are like graduate students uh-huh. or uh-huh. early career investigators or early career clinicians. And that's why right. – 
I've been working with the publishers to think through a plan of attack for like, you know, hopefully philanthropic support that can help cover mm-hmm. these author publication fees. Because I think one, uh-huh. if, if we can get past the first three to five years, or, you know, let's even just say three, and, you know, we have an impact factor, then I think it begins to be self-sustaining. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. getting there, I think, is, um, you know, can be a challenge. Right. Have you thought about a Kickstarter? Uh I have not thought about that. It's something that I can definitely bring up to the publishers. It's interesting. I've used it for other aspects of my own uh, uh-huh. career and philanthropy. Uh-huh. So, but it's a good uh, idea. Yeah. It's one of the things that are out there. I, I see that for a number of different issues, even from personal to more political issues. So, yeah. it's, I mean, the idea of, 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 of a... Um, a community-funded kind of activity is, is intriguing in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, just like it's been hard to get transgender health issue or research funded, I think there still aren't as many options as one might like, you know, seeking mm-hmm. philanthropic support even for this kind of thing. But there's more than there mm-hmm. was five years ago, and there's certainly far mm-hmm. more than there was ten years ago. Um, So, you know, I think it's just going to take a little bit of creativity. But I do think that, um, you know, the publisher's commitment to this particular journal is so strong that when I accepted the – I I had a feeling this this might be the case, that, you know, many of the authors would be quite junior. And so Mm -hmm. when I I accepted, I was like, well – you know, for a startup journal, at least for the first two years, do we have the capacity to waive those author publication fees for high quality work that fit within the mission of the journal? And they were like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the manuscripts that you're seeing published, at least right now, particularly the data driven ones, have asked for waivers of that author publication fee. And right. thankfully, we've been able to grant it. But the long term sustainability plan for the journal would be probably some combination of people that can pay those fees and mm-hmm. some philanthropic support. Okay. Um, you, keep, you mentioned data. Now, I have to ask this question because many times when people talk about data, what comes to mind is quantitative data. So do you see Trends in Health as being primarily a quantitatively focused journal? Uh Not really. I mean, we've published some qualitative papers already. Um, I think when you're talking about medical care and, and health care, I, I see there's a definite um, slant or uh, bias, I think, towards quantitative research. But I think if the qualitative research is done well, you know, particularly as it might relate to things about, um, you know, perceptions or how transgender people perceive the healthcare environment, you know, I think um, – or, or, or perceive sort of healthcare outcomes or surgical procedures, things like that. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. we're really open to that. I think it could be both quantitative and qualitative. Right, right. Okay. I think right now, now we're probably at about. I'm trying. I mean, I, we're still in our nascent phase, so I think we're still under 20 data-driven um, articles. But I would say probably 80% are quantitative. And that's right. probably not that different than other journals, other than journals that really cater to qualitative research specifically. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay. Now I have my one last question. And this is something that you've already kind of touched around. 
the idea that many of your uh, people submitting are, are, are junior researchers or kind of new in the field. Um, something that I've seen a lot of people love, my friends, colleagues who are, are trans, they've seen a lot of people uh, trying to conduct research in, in various settings. And I see a lot of people critiquing, you know, a lot of these research, people making comments about how certain uh, research call for uh, participants. They, they have issues regarding uh, the language that are being used. There are questions about uh, topics and so forth. Can, can you perhaps, as someone who has had many years' experience doing transgender health, um, perhaps is there any advice that you would give uh, the perhaps junior researchers who or, or people who are looking to do transgender research but may not have yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great question, and, and I'm not sure if the answer I'm about to give you is what you were looking for, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that mm-hmm. um, I, I, I get the challenges around language that have sort of plagued or faced the transgender community, and I um, I see it play out in challenges related to, um, you know, high-quality academic work. That said, but I don't know if you were in WPATH in Amsterdam. I don't think you were, but I was actually perturbed at that conference, to be honest, about the intolerance that I perceived um, related to people's use of language, whether it was um, – I, I think we – I think sometimes this community can – can, um, for lack of a better word, um, they can be tough on themselves. And mm-hmm. I and I understand mm-hmm. where that comes from, but I also think that we need to educate people and um, have an element of tolerance for people that might not have every aspect of sort of cultural humility down yet because it might be a mm-hmm. work in progress for them. And one of the things that I didn't see, I did not see that at WPATH. There were a number of posters that were defaced, you know, for, you know, a, a perception of not being, you know, not in, in, using the correct language. I'd never seen that mm-hmm. in an academic meeting before. And so what I would really love to see is people um, – I don't want to say lighten up because that's that's making light of the situation, but I think we have to learn to um, to educate and mentor alongside holding people accountable, and right. um, and I think that's one of the real challenges right now in this discipline because even for myself. And again, I mean, I hate using the word expert because I don't know what I'm an expert in other than sometimes being a hot mess. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you I guess I'm an expert in this particular field, and I still sometimes struggle, you know, with language mm-hmm. because it's constantly evolving and it's constantly right. changing, and that's a great thing. But um, anyway, I, I, I mean, I think that's one of the real challenges. And one of my advice right. would, to people would be, um, you know, to you know keep moving forward. Um, but also not be deterred if, um, you know, someone challenges your particular use of language because there's mm-hmm. always room for any of us to to be mm-hmm. better at what we're doing. Right. No, I have to agree with you that. I mean, just looking at my own writing over, over the years and how certain um, – how, how that's changed, how things that I, I said in the past really wouldn't go um, well over well now. 
you know, such as using, you know, the transgender with an ED, for example, or sure. You know, those, or and, those kind of things. And we do. There are now the guidelines put out by GLAD that I've sent actually people that have submitted to transgender health that have, you know, used, let's say, transgendered in a manuscript. And I think mm-hmm, those guidelines mm-hmm. by GLAD are helpful. But, you know, I think there's more um, subtle things. You know, like I used to say gender variant, you know, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, before I embrace the term gender nonconforming, you know, or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I used to use the term natal sex. Now I say Mm -hmm. sex assigned at birth, you know, like the field evolves and the language evolves with it. And what I, what I sensed or what I felt at WPATH was a real intolerance for Mm. um, those changes in language, which are normal and a normal part of this discipline's evolution. You know, particularly in an, in, a, in an international setting where people's uh, native language might not even be English, you know. Right. So I think um, we need to continue to challenge ourselves to be mm-hmm. as as a, as appropriate as possible, but also I think um, I'll, I'll say it, lighten up a little bit mm-hmm. with regard to um, s- some issues of language because there's always room for people to get to get better. And those are opportunities for education often. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's how right, I feel about right. it. Okay. And maybe a call for more, um, perhaps community driven activity. Yeah. I mean, I even say it in the, in, you know, when I'm seeing clients still or patients, I shouldn't say clients, when I'm seeing patients uh-huh. and families, I always say like, Hey, I'm going to do my best here, you know, but if mm-hmm. I say something that, you know, you think is wrong or, you know, inappropriate or, you know, if I use the wrong pronoun or if I say the wrong word, like I get mm-hmm. that you could be pissed off and I totally get it. But I hope you point it out to me, you know, so that I can get better, you right. know, because that's right. how we each of us gets better is, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I, I, I the same thing that I say in the clinical environment, I'd like to translate that to the academic environment. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. All right. Um that is all the questions I have. Is there anything that you perhaps want to add or mention that we haven't covered? No, I think this was great, and I really appreciate you um, taking the time to interview me. Not a problem. Not a problem. This is this is important development, and we want to see transgender health really prosper. I think both in regards to the role it will play in, in, I think, in the in the field, but also in regards to how we could perhaps be a leader in how giving people access to lots of information and not have it being hidden behind paywalls. Uh, Agreed. Yep. Completely agreed. And I I do think, you know, and I've said this in, I think we're at a real tipping point in this discipline, Um, Mm -hmm. or at least I'd like to believe we are. Time will tell. Mm -hmm. But if we are, I think, then watch out, I think, because I love that, you know, the the transgender community is one of the most awesome you know, communities that I've ever had the privilege of working with and Mm -hmm. they are like strong and determined and, and watch out because I think, you know, they're going to take academia by storm one day and I I look, (laughs) and I look forward to it. Great. Great. Again, thank you so much uh, for your time. And um, I know you're, as a doctor, you have a lot of things going on, so I'll, I'll let you go. But again, thank you so much for, for this, for your time. Thank you. 